0: Welcome to the Gospel of Grace Radio Broadcast, a Primitive Baptist ministry declaring the good news of the finished work of salvation by grace alone. This weekly radio program is brought to you by Elder Joe Nettles, pastor of Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and Elder David Wise, pastor of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We now invite you to stay tuned for our message this morning.
1: Welcome again, my friends, to the Gospel of Grace Radio Broadcast. I'm Joe Nettles, and also welcome you on behalf of Elder David Wise. And we strive to serve Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church in Caledonia, Mississippi, and also Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, just north of Ackerman, Mississippi, on Highway 15, in between Ackerman and Mathiston. Both of our churches meet at 10.30 a.m. every Sunday morning. We sure would love for y'all to join us. Uh, join us at our website, gospel-of-grace.com and find archive messages and all kind of resources. If you have opportunity, go to Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church Facebook page, hit the like button, uh, activate the notifications, and it'll let you know every time we go to live worship, which is every, every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. and every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. We have another installment for you today in the series on Zechariah chapter 4. And we hope that after this hymn, you'll tune in, stay with us, and uh, we'll be right back with today's message. Thank you so much for staying tuned with us here at the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast. And as always, I'm Elder Joe Nettles, and I'm turned uh, to Zechariah chapter four in my King James translation, and I hope that you'll turn with me today. As you know, I've been trying to teach Zechariah chapter four, speaking about the rich symbolism involved, the encouraging prophecy. And uh, today we'd like to speak a little bit about the oil and the lampstand, things of that nature. And hopefully we'll be able to unfold it in such a way that it will be an encouragement and an edifying teaching for you today. We go to Zechariah chapter 4 and we'll first read verses 1 through 3 for context's sake. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 1, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of sleep and said unto me, what seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it and his seven lamps thereon and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl and the other upon the left side thereof. And then we forward just a little bit toward the end of this chapter and we go to verse 11. Then answered I and said unto him, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, "'What be these two olive branches, "'which through the two golden pipes "'empty the golden oil out of themselves?' "'And he answered me and said, "'Knowest thou not what these be?' "'And I said, "'No, my Lord.' "'Then said he, "'These are the two anointed ones "'that stand by the Lord of the whole earth.'" The term anointed ones in the Hebrew can literally also, according to my middle reference of my Bible, mean sons of oil. So here, obviously, we have two faithful servants here, sons of oil, anointed ones, that stand by the side, uh, one side and the other of this lampstand. In today's message, Lord being my helper, I'd like to consider, again, as we said, the golden lampstand, the bowl upon the top of it, and the oil that comes from those two olive trees. What do these things mean? What spiritual lessons can be learned from all this beautiful imagery that we read here in Zechariah chapter four? Well, as I taught you in previous messages, the lampstand refers to the church of Jesus Christ in this day in which we live. The oil is emblematic of the Holy Spirit, its power and the light of revelation that the Lord has given to each and every one of us today to be able to see and to know his truth and to rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, taking these things into consideration, let us first examine the meaning of the golden bowl at the top of the lampstand. Now, remember the lampstand is emblematic of the church. And also it points to the lampstand that was in use in the tabernacle service in the Old Testament. Okay, It is the light of the world, so to speak. So here we see the golden bowl at the top of the lampstand. Though there were golden pipes bringing oil from the two olive trees, there was yet an oil supply upon the top of the lampstand that was independent of these. This is emblematic of the Lord's inexhaustible unending supply provided for his church. And I posit for you today, kindred, that this indicates an inextinguishable, heavenly preservation of the church upon this earth. Now, Jesus asked a question regarding faith being on the earth upon his return, whether the faith that we see, the faith that we walk in, will it remain? Can it be extinguished from the face of the earth and history? And we go to Luke chapter 18. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. And the setting of this is the parable of the unjust judge. And the Lord said, This is verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect? What does elect mean? Those that he has chosen, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, When the son of God cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Now, when we look at this question in context, it seems to imply that there may not be faith upon the earth at his return. Despite stressing that the Lord who has never forgotten his elect will certainly intervene and avenge his beloved people speedily. He then asked this question as if it could not be taken for granted that faith will be upon the earth at his return. What are we to conclude from this? Well, first off, as always, let us rightly divide the word of truth. That means we need to compare scripture with the other embodiment of scriptures. We just can't take one passage and run with it independent from all of the other inspired passages in the word of God. We must see it in a sense as a whole. When we look at the entire body of New Testament scripture, we can easily see, friends, that there will definitely be faith within individuals at his second coming at the very least. Why do we say that? Because we know that there will be elect children, born again of the Holy Spirit, remaining alive upon the return of Jesus Christ. I mean you can just go to first Thessalonians chapter four verse fifteen for one of many texts that prove this. Now, if one is born again of the Spirit of God, then they have the fruit of the Spirit, which one of which is faith according to Galatians five twenty two. Faith is the gift of God, according to Ephesians two and eight it is instilled into the heart and soul of every born-again child of god though that faith may be very rudimentary it may lack a lot of knowledge yet it is still that sense in the heart and soul of born-again children which causes them to seek after god and his truth it's by that faith that we're enabled to believe the gospel truth of jesus christ our lord Therefore, knowing that according to the Bible, there will be elect children alive and remaining at that day, it also means that there will consequently be faith alive at that day. Knowing that, I conclude then that Jesus must have been speaking of the church or the called out militant visible church of Jesus Christ, which is comprised of individuals with faith. In other words, will there be found upon the earth at the return of Jesus Christ an identifiable body of faithful believers who are striving to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, seeking to hold to the right doctrines and practices they find taught in the scriptures? Well, thanks be unto God, we have multiple scriptures that indicate plainly that the church as a militant body will still be active, even though she may be greatly persecuted and diminished here upon the earth at the return of Jesus Christ. Now, here are just a few. We go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Here in Jesus Christ's exchange with Simon Peter, he says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Peter's name literally means little stone. Well, here he's teaching about an entity that is built upon the rock. Jesus Christ, but yet it is comprised of many little stones or little pebble stones or aggregate stones that build it up. He said, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a very encouraging thought, is it not, regarding the church, that not even the gates of hell should prevail against it. And what he means by that is I believe this whole world in which we live is just teetering upon the edge of the precipice of hell and just waiting for the return of Jesus Christ who will topple it all off into destruction and condemnation. But friends, we will not be included in that because we as part of the church of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will not be prevailed against by any of the powers of hell. Here he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I venture to tell you, you could not find a more powerful uh, evil carnal entity in this universe other than what is referred to there as the gates of hell. So we have confidence that the church will be here. Go to First Peter chapter one. We're going to read verses three through five. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Now he turns to you under consideration. Verse five, he says, who are kept, that means guarded, protected by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Here, Peter is writing this epistle to the church and he said, you are people with faith and you are kept or guarded and protected by that faith unto that salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I do not believe he is here referring to your faith being used by God to preserve you in eternal life. But no, our faith is something we experience here upon this temporal plane, this time world in which we live, which guards us and keeps us. My friends, it's our only defense. It's our only hope is walking in faith. It's the only way things in this world and universe can make any sense. It's the only way we can keep from going crazy in this wild and woolly world in which we live. But it only keeps us unto Salvate, not into salvation, but unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So there you will see faith will be the guard for the church, even unto the coming of Jesus Christ. We go to Ephesians chapter three, three we'll read verses 20 through 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by, notice glory in the church by Christ Jesus, how long? Throughout all ages, world without end, amen. I don't think you could misunderstand that unless you had great help to misunderstand it, that throughout all ages, world without end, the church of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be visible, will be present, and will be rendering glory unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, taking all of this into account, uh, I think we can safely conclude that the seemingly negative inflection of the rhetorical question by Christ regarding faith being upon the earth was not because there will be no faithful church, but that she will be diminished. She will be beaten down. She will be persecuted. She will be reduced to the point of being barely a blip on the screen, so to speak. The church in relation to other ages at that time will be very barely hanging on at the second coming due to spiritual coldness and withering persecutions and slaughters. Some of the texts that allude to this, we go to Matthew chapter 24, that Olivet Discourse. Now here, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking more immediately of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, but he also uses that as a prefiguring of the greater fulfillment and that being uh, the end of the world in this universe at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Notice what we read in verses 21 through 24, 21 through, 21 through 22, excuse me. For then shall be great tribulation, great heartache, great persecution, great trying times, burdened, stressed, Uh, It's going to be a dreadful thing when we're talking about this tribulation. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. There, when he says there should no flesh be saved, I don't think he's talking about saved eternally, but saved from the destruction that is coming down upon the church, the persecutions under the power of Antichrist. He said, but for the elect's sake, because I have a chosen people, because I have a bride in this earth, in other words, he said, those days shall be shortened and so some flesh shall be saved. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through four. He writes, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That tells you the time frame. It's the end of time, the last day, the judgment day. He said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. There friends, he's not painting a pretty picture regarding uh, the state and affairs of the church at that day. We will be greatly burdened and persecuted under great fires of temptation and tribulation. Again, second Peter chapter three, verses three through four, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, Now, why does that matter? In the last days, scoffers. We have scoffers in this day. There were scoffers in the days of Noah. There were scoffers in the days of Moses. There have always been scoffers. So what is the import of this statement? Here, I think he's teaching that there are gonna be so many scoffers that even people identifying themselves with Christ shall scoff. And unfortunately, we see this around us today. Many people claiming uh, to be members of the church of Jesus Christ will deny the uh, virgin birth. They will deny the resurrection. They will deny the second coming of Jesus Christ. He said, knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And now we close this thought with Revelation chapter 13, verses six to eight. In the context of this is the working of Antichrist uh, and those evil wicked people who will invariably clamor to him and want to take his name upon them. In Revelation 13, verse six, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war. Notice it was given unto him to make war with the saints. And to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now the good news of that is when it says they shall he shall overcome them, it doesn't mean he shall utterly overcome them, because we know my friends that Jesus Christ is going to return as a soldier, a king uh, wearing crowns upon his head with a sword coming forth from his mouth, blazoned upon his thigh, uh, king of kings and Lord of lords riding upon a white stallion. There we see the returning of the Lord who will protect his elect and will bring a conclusion to this wicked world in which we live. But yet what is invariably taught there is that the church of Jesus Christ to a large extent will be overwhelmed by the wave of, the waves, the tsunami waves, as it were, of wickedness and persecution in this world. Now, while it rends our hearts to consider it, the visible church at the coming of the day of judgment may be minute, may be bedraggled and on the verge of being extinguished. However, though diminished and stressed, present she shall be all the same. She has a bowl of spiritual oil from on high that provides that guarantee. Now, don't allow this grievous thought to discourage you. It's meant to encourage you in the Lord's power and promises. Now, you may think, well, I'm encouraged that Jesus will keep his church, but the thought of her inevitable decline is just sickening uh, beyond reason. It said, you know, if this is true, why should I even try to serve with the church in making disciples, to serve and to labor with the church in trying to make things better? Friends, don't fall into that fatalistic mindset. Firstly, remember that it could be yet millennia before Jesus Christ's return. That is a date we are not meant to know. We get up in Christ Jesus every day, balancing the hope for his return today with anticipation for tomorrow that may be better for our children and grandchildren. While knowing his return could be imminent, yet we still pray, preach, live and love with a desire to see a more blessed future. For all we know, the Lord could send down repentance and revival upon the whole of America, allowing us to see a great increase in believing disciples, having to knock the very walls out of our meeting houses to make room for the increase. Granted now, sometime past that increase will be the prophesied decline and persecution. It's somewhere on the other side, but how many revivals could spring up between then and now? You see, we just don't know. So don't get discouraged. Secondly, note that while we know there will be a decline in general, nowhere in scripture does it preclude there being increase in particular. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for an example. They were in the furnace, in the fiery furnace. All around them generally was fire, pride, captivity, and treachery at every hand. Yet even in the midst of that general mess was a group of men who were particularly blessed. They spent probably hours, as best I can tell, in the fire visiting with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. How happy they must have been. Don't try to convince them at that point in time that they were not blessed. No, they were barely blessed in the midst of their captivity and bondage. How did this particular blessing come about? It was a direct result of those three Hebrew young men pouring their effort, prayers, courage, and sacrifices onto the spiritual fire. They would not have experienced what they did had they withered under persecution and peril. Another example of particular blessedness in the midst of general terror we find in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Now, the context of this, this was right after Saul of Tarsus was stricken by the spirit on the Damascus Road. Now, true, he was taken out of the equation of those seeking to kill the Christians, Jesus uh, broke that dog from sucking eggs. But even so, the atmosphere in general at that time was still persecution and slaughter against the church. That still remained. However, the oil that was poured onto the church's flame by Ananias' faithfulness in going to Saul, he was obedient and went to Saul. By Saul, later we knew him as Paul, by his brave preaching and by the church's trust and the manifest power of the spirit in that situation, and that had to be a lot of trust. No, They knew the reputation of Saul of Tarsus. All of that served to fan the flame of the spirit in that day, my friends. And it was said in verse 31, then had the churches rest, R-E-S-T, rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. It means they were built up. The, the, the flame was fanned, it was fed, it was raging. And they, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. You see, in the midst of persecution and a very real potential for destruction, they had rest. Seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? It does unless you've experienced it. Friends, I thank my Lord Jesus Christ I've experienced it. This is what it means to let the oil from your tree, believer in Christ, pour into the fire of the lampstand. Though the guarantee is given that the flame of the church will never be extinguished, that flame can certainly be fed and increased by your oil of the spirit being piped into it. In our text, I believe that the two olive trees on the lamp's side represented, at least in that immediate context, the high priest Joshua and the ruler Zerubbabel, those servants of God. Uh, These men had to look past their present circumstances. They had to look past the Jews, fear and trembling, Those Jews that they served, they were greatly afraid and intimidated. They had to look past the earthly king of their own physical captivity and by faith, trust that all their efforts were pleasing to the Lord of hosts who reigns yet forever in heaven. I ask you today, dear olive trees, under the sound of today's teaching, are you adding your oil to the flame? Are you doing what you can? It's not ever, ever, ever in vain. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 57. Then in 58, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Even if you don't get to see the fruit of your faithfulness in your lifetime, the promise to us is that it is 100% profitable. Should we be those who lie down on the bed of ease, taking for granted that the church will exist whether or not we do our part? Perish the thought, friends. The spirit has made you a vessel of oil. Now divest yourself of it. Pour it out. Work it out of your born again soul so it will make the flame brighter. Paul taught that to the church at Philippi. Uh, He taught that unto Timothy. You see, when he told them that we need to spindo or be poured out as a drink offering, He said, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry for I am now ready to be offered. That means now I'm ready to be poured out every bit of the oil of the spirit the Lord has given me. I'm ready to divest it, to pour it out as to the honor and the glory of the Lord and to the good of the church. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course and I've kept the faith. All today, listening friends, I encourage you to defy defy discouraging times your own doubts and fears and do as did paul and the three hebrew boys the saints of zechariah's ministry and millions of christian saints before us decide today to quench not the spirit but rather be a faithful rivulet of oil converging together with the streams of other believers to the fueling of that same fire in christ jesus Oh, I encourage you, come to Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church today, or some Primitive Baptist Church in your area, and hear the truth and rejoice in it, and pour that oil upon the flame, my friends. You'll never, ever, ever have a day or a moment of regret about it. Until I'm able to speak with you again about such noble and wonderful subjects, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ guide and be with you all. Wow.
0: If you enjoy the messages you hear on the Gospel of Grace radio broadcast, we invite you to visit a Primitive Baptist church in your community. To find a Primitive Baptist church near you, to listen to past messages online, and to find further contact information, you can visit our website at gospel-of-grace.com. You can also find our program on iTunes under podcast, entitled The Gospel of Grace, a Primitive Radio Broadcast. If you listen and enjoy our program, we would love to hear from you. You may contact us by email at gospelofgracepb at gmail.com. This program is produced by Sulphur Springs Primitive Baptist Church, 40283 Wolf Road, Caledonia, Mississippi, and Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, 11 Staten Road on Highway 15 just north of Ackerman, Mississippi. We would love for you to come and worship with us each Sunday morning at 10:30 a.m. We invite you to tune in again next week for another message from the Gospel of Grace. Until next time, we pray God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord.
2: Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus.